You're listening to The Mix Podcast, where we explore user behavior, emerging technologies, and how to design better digital experiences. And not have this feeling of, oh, I'm in this environment and I'm expected to do X, Y, Z, or I'm expected to say something. Or maybe I just don't really dare to say anything because all these people know so well what they're talking about. So it's very much about making sure that everybody's equal. And equal means everybody's respectful towards each other. I'm Marek Pawlowski, the founder of MEX, and that was Martin Peters, my guest on today's show. And he's talking about the nuances of workshop atmosphere and an environment that he believes are essential to taking that co-creative approach to design. Now, Martin and his co-author, Stephanie Janssen, have just published a book entitled The Seven Principles of Complete Co-Creation, drawing on experiences working with companies all over the world, including in Martin's current role, where he's the head of co-creation and people insights at Philips. Now, they're the Dutch lighting company behind well-known things like the Philips Hue smart lighting products. I thoroughly enjoyed talking to Martin. I'm going to tell you a bit more about how we were introduced and how that discussion came about in a minute. But before we get into all of that, we have a little milestone to celebrate on the podcast. We've just passed our second anniversary, two years, 44 episodes, and I'm delighted to say an ever-growing audience of you wonderful listeners tuning in, writing in, uh, and getting involved. So whether you've been along for the ride with us since the start, or whether this is your first episode, welcome, and thank you very much. I've loved having the opportunity to record these conversations and talk with so many fascinating people who are doing very interesting things around digital experience design out there in the MEX community. I'm looking forward to doing a lot more of them in the future. I've got a few reflections I wanted to share on the things that I've learned personally from doing the podcast, but I'll, I'll come back to those at the end of the show after the interview with Martin. But in the meantime, I mean, suffice to say, It's been a really wonderful way to catch up with people I've known in the world of design and user experience for 20 plus years, since before it was even called user experience, uh, and to hear about what's been happening in their careers and their practice. Um, It's been a wonderful way to be introduced to and interview some really talented new connections who I might not otherwise have the chance to meet, Uh, and perhaps best of all, to connect with some of our listeners and guests at various events around the world, put faces to names and you know, share a, a coffee together. Now, speaking of which, last week we had our most recent edition of the Mex Dining Club in London, and we had a great group there, including some people who've been guests on the show, um, and everyone got together on a very cold winter's night, and we had a good old chat over a delicious meal of Korean barbecue. And it seemed to go down very well with everyone who was there, so we're going to do it again soon, uh, back at the same place, London, Tuesday, 13th of March. And again, there'll be 12 seats at the table. So if it's something you'd like to come along to, uh, just send me an email and I can wing you over an invite with all the details. Now, let's talk jobs. Uh, If you're hiring or if you're looking for a new role with a company which shares the user-centered design values of the MEX community, we now have our MEX Jobs Board. 
There are roles up there at the moment ranging from user researchers to directors of UX from New York to Cambridge in the UK. Uh, take a look, mobileuserexperience.com slash jobs. And who knows, maybe your next gig is right there waiting for you. And of course, if you're hiring, we've made it simple to share your roles with this wonderful community of design pioneers. Uh, it's a one-off fee, £139 plus VAT. Uh, and we'll get the word out for you about your jobs through all of the different mix channels, the email newsletter, the jobs board, the social channels, uh, and of course, on this podcast. So it's mobileuserexperience.com and just take a look for the job section there. Okay, so I guess we should get on with the main event. Uh, this conversation with Martin Peters came about when I was chatting with a couple of uh, the long-term MEX collaborators, Patrizia Bertini and Alex Guest, who regular listeners will no doubt know from some of our previous episodes. And we got talking about the importance of co-creation techniques in bridging what can often be a, a difficult and a, a wasteful divide between user research and how the insights that form that research then flow into better design decisions. And Patrizia, who never seems to fail when it comes to recommending seriously interesting people to talk to, said, look, you've got to talk to Martin about this. So as well as being responsible for driving co-creation at Philips Lighting, um, one of the pioneers of smart home devices like those Hue light bulbs and, and the lighting system, it turns out that Martin has literally written the book along with uh, his co-author Stephanie Janssen on how to succeed with co-creation. And he's come along a pretty interesting path himself, starting out as an innovation consultant, then discovering co-creation for himself, founding an independent agency to deliver its benefits to a pretty diverse group of clients, and now going in-house at one of Europe's big technology innovators. Here's our chat. I hope you enjoy. Martin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join me today. Yes, no, very happy to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. So I think congratulations are in order. As I understand, you have just taken delivery of some of the first copies of your new book, The Seven Principles of Complete Co-Creation. Is that an exciting moment? It is very much an exciting moment. It's also the first book that I've co-authored together with Stephanie Janssen. And um, it, it, it feels we've been working on this for years, really. I mean, from the moment we started until it was actually done, a lot of things have happened in the meantime. And we always had clear what we wanted to achieve. But when you actually see it and you actually hold it in your hands and you, you can actually start looking at it from a, from a different perspective, it, it feels like a special moment, to be honest. And uh, I'm not lying. I, I really felt like... Um, you know, you know what they say sometimes when they say it feels like like a baby. It it, it had moments of that. It's really something that, um, in, in a way, makes you proud of, of what you're doing, and you know, and have a lot of passion for for the topic. So I really hope that this helps people with uh, challenges that I've come across in my career, and I hope it inspires people to do more with co-creation. Well, it's a great contribution to make to the community and. 
as you say, it's something that you must have put years into the development of alongside your, your co-author, Stephanie. But like, where does that start? I'm always curious about this when it comes to people who have written mm. books, because having spent you know, a fair amount of time writing things myself over the years, it, there is a, a really significant investment, not just of time, but also of your, your mental energy. A little bit of your soul goes into everything that, that you write. Uh, so I'm always interested by like what the, the genesis moment is for something like that, especially when you're doing it as a, a co-authored book. Book. you know where, how did you actually decide you know this is the moment to start and this is something we're going to commit to do yeah um a few interesting things in that actually what you when you're what you're asking and uh, l- let me see if i can explain this clearly so um, indeed it started years ago so what happened was i was working in the innovation world right so uh working a lot with um uh, design thinking type of tools creating propositions for for, for various type of companies, could be something within education, could be something within FMCG type of companies. Uh, you know, we were doing some type of uh, interesting project in in Shanghai for a month, really. And this was as like an independent consultant. This was uh, no, this was even um, kind of before that, where I was working um, or was a founding member of a of an innovation agency, which was kind of a, a what if spin off kind of thing. So my colleague, the guy who I uh, started working with at that time, he was working for What If and came back to Holland because of uh, mostly family reasons. He had a young family. He wanted to to live in Holland, not in China at the time. Um, And I teamed up with him and we started working on different projects and build a company over the next uh, following uh, few years. Um, But at some point for me, actually, along the line, I realized that the the projects that we were doing and and they were normal projects like a lot of these innovation agencies are doing right um i realized that the ones that were most successful were the ones where we were really collaborating and really closely connected with the actual target group really trying to involve them into the, the process because most of the time what you see is that you have a lot of people uh, internal people or maybe some external consultants kind of creating together some type of proposition that they all believe in um and, and some of it is all show right that whole process of the ideations and all of that type of stuff so you know i was a bit critical about it at some point um which made me leave the company and said okay you know what? i'm going to do something else and that's when i also decided to start to start working on co-creation projects um at the same time I met up again with Stephanie uh, and this we actually we, we got together again at the it was kind of a, um, a celebration party basically of the success of one of the projects that we were working on together a few years back which was an educational project it was really interesting and this this product became um, a, a very successful product in the Dutch market. Um, so there was some kind of, 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 of festivity going on and we met up there again and I just left the company and she was at a point where she also realized, yeah, you know what, um, I've been doing market research for years and, and, and she's a trained psychologist as well, trained market researcher. So she had a different background, me coming from innovation. And we started talking about that same world, co-creation, both realizing this is where it's going uh, we were still a bit uh, early, <laughs> so uh, we still had to explain a lot. 
But right there, we decided, you know what, we are going to do something together. That's also when we founded the co-creators. So we then said, we're going to do projects together and let's see if we can educate the market. Um, and what was the background that uh, your co-author, Stephanie Janssen, was coming from? You know, did you did you each have uh, the, the same sort of skill sets here or were you bringing different elements to the equation? No, that's a good question. That's, that's the second layer to this, really, because... Um, her background, she, she has studied psychology. She's done years of market research. So, and she's also uh, an expert on kids and family insights. So, her background was actually very complementary to my background, which was much more innovation in general. I have a uh, way back. I, I studied hospitality management, so it's always about people thinking about how can we create a good experience for people. Yeah. And that, for me, has developed into the world of innovation. Um, one of the interesting things also that I have realized working in this innovation world, um, market research is often something that is not done, let's say, well enough, right? People do, of course, do some type of immersion phase, but, uh, you know, it, it's never really as good as it should be because often the people that are doing these type of of, of um, tasks are not the market researchers that should be doing them. And I realized that early on already. Also, and that was also the reason why she was working with us on a particular project once. So her um, skills and her background was actually very complementary to mine because we were talking about the same topic, but we we're looking at it from a different angle. So at that point, we also started talking about, well, what does it actually mean co-creation? Because there was a lot of talk about it and there was a lot of different opinions about it. Is it an ideation? Is it some type of crowdsourcing platform? Is it some type of partnership that people have when you know, or companies have? Uh, there were a lot of different opinions about it. And then we said, okay, well, we don't always agree with people's definitions of co-creation. For us, it's very much about making sure that you influence all the people that need to be part of that um, solution creation, basically, that means end users or other relevant stakeholders, of course, we're talking internal and external, and you should take them along that journey of that development so that you're constantly connected to those people and basically continuously try to create um, a better understanding of what you're doing and thus have better arguments for why we're going left or right or what we're doing and why, so that you don't end up at the end and then have to test something and then find out whether it's true or not. Well, um, that, that was one of the things which really struck me about um, the this particular approach to doing the book and specifically that word in the title, complete co-creation, because I, I'm guessing for a lot of the listeners to this show, you know, they will already be familiar with what co-creation is and possibly have tried it or been involved with projects themselves where there have been elements of that. But yeah. you're you know, quite specific and there's almost a, a little provocation perhaps there in the title about this being complete co-creation, taking it to to a next level. Now, why did you feel the, the, the need to you know reinforce for people that there is uh, an additional level of depth that you can go to with co-creation compared to what you were seeing in the market at the time? Yeah, so this then links back to uh, what I was just saying before, is we realized a lot of different people have different opinions about what co-creation is. And then we had the options like, okay, either we're going to educate people on what we think co-creation is, or we come up with a different name to say, listen, we see it slightly different. 
Because for us, the question was, okay, co-creation, great, that whole world of co-creation, fantastic. We're talking about interaction with people, an open attitude to things, different collaborations with with different people in the markets or partners or, you know, it's it's quite a big world. But for us, the question was like, okay, if you want to then start working from that paradigm, in which way is co-creation most effective? And for us, that meant then, okay, you need to make sure that whatever you do is try to make a, because in a way, it's, it's making a puzzle, right? It's laying a puzzle. You, you try to collect all the different pieces of the puzzle to then get to a complete outcome, um, which means you need to involve all the people that actually have those pieces of the puzzle. So you can put them together and together you are walking that journey. Yeah, I think that's one of the interesting differences that I've noticed in you know, our conversations before and the work that you've been doing is that sense that this is something, a process which can you know run as a strand throughout the entire cycle of, of product development. Whereas I think the reality is that for a lot of organizations, still co-creation seems to be something which is front-loaded into um, the initial research phases, but then starts to drop off as you get more towards the specific of what a particular solution is is going to look like. Um, but I, I feel like that the methods that you guys are espousing here, it's all about taking it um, on further within that kind of development cycle and making sure that users remain an active voice uh, throughout that. Yeah, I yeah, know you're absolutely right. And a, a lot of things that people do is is... They use the word co-creation because it is something that people like to hear, because it's something that people seem to connect with and then try to basically use it as a container word for a lot of different things. So sometimes people are actually doing market research and like, well, we're doing co-creation because we're getting some, you know, some ideas from the market or, you know, those, those type of things. But indeed it's, 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 we're, we're seeing it much more as, if you would ladder it up, you're talking about some level of co-ownership. It's it's and, and there are interesting examples in the market that have um, done extremely well because of those principles that we're talking about in the book. And um, imagine, for instance, um, in, in Holland there was it 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 no longer exists. Well, it, it exists but it's got bought up, so it's slightly different now, which often happens. Um, but it's it's a telecom company which was. Um, focused on uh, youth, I believe somewhere between 14 to say 22 years old, something like that. Um, and the the people that, that started that company, they were mid-30s, so relatively young still. I mean, they had experience in the telecom industries and they knew what they were doing and they, they saw an opportunity in the market. So they started coming up with the concept and different type of propositions, what they think should be, and they quickly realized that well, actually, we don't really know what these kids want anymore because, I mean, it is a different generation. And the world has changed very dramatically over the last, say, 20 years, right? Um, so they realized that if they were going to be successful, they needed to start working together with these uh, youngsters to really define what makes sense for them? How do I talk to these people? How do I reach them? What do they find interesting? What they don't find interesting, etc., etc., etc. All the basic questions, really. But instead of assuming it, they asked these people and said their target group and said, "Like, listen, this is what we are dealing with. What do you think we should do?" So then these kids actually they said, "Well, actually, it's it's more interesting to do, for instance, um, 
communicating via these and these apps, or you need to be on that and that platform talking about it. It's, it we need to have um, a, a limited amount of of of, of, uh, of say uh, money on 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 uh, on the um, it's a SIM card, so it's a bit of a prepaid uh, card, right? Um, we need to have a limited limited amount, but you know it, it can't be too expensive. We need to have this and so they were really shaping the whole concept together. And this became extremely successful. Um, first of all, from the beginning on, these uh, these kids were already talking about it with their peers. So from a marketing point of view, that was interesting. So it already reached a lot of people in the beginning. So when they actually went live and they launched the product, they already sold a lot of uh, SIM cards straight off the bat. So that was great. Um, but they were very relevant, right? I mean, people were able to understand what they were doing. Um, they were able to reach the right people, talk in the right way. And the funny thing was also, and this is one of the things I personally like uh, a lot about this example, is they said, you know what, these kids are so important for the success of this company, we're going to give them a place in the organization. So six of these kids actually were a board of directors. Uh, different groups said, you know what, we're going to take uh, take care of the um, the uh, customer service, because right now we don't really have anything yet, still a young company, but we think it should be this, this, and this, and this. So the company said, you know what, do it. Here's the support. We would like you to start developing that. And they really gave a lot of freedom. And of course, they helped them and they facilitated them. And they, they, they were making sure that the decisions that were made uh, made sense, right? Because it's, it's, it's not just saying, oh, we give all the control to our target group. No, I mean, you have pieces of the puzzle that the other part doesn't have. And again, it's about bringing them together. And in the end, what is leading is, of course, the perception of who you're doing this for. So perhaps it starts to get towards that idea, which I think a lot of companies pay lip service to and, and strive for, but don't always achieve that you're going from users, customers to actually community, the sense that you have a community that is actively participating in and involved and feels a sense of ownership around yeah. a, a particular product or, or services. And it, it makes me wonder, I mean, do you, do you have to approach the structure of those kind of design projects in a different way from the outset? when you're trying to find participants who potentially go on to, as you say, have a degree of ownership over the thing that they're helping to co-create versus, you know, the usual sort of uh, user recruitment process you might go through if the expectation is just that those users are going to come in for, you know, a session or two, give some feedback, and then that's going to be the end of their involvement. You know, do you have to approach the organization of that, that project plan differently? If you've got in mind from the outset that you want to form that long-term relationship with those, those users? Well, yes and no. Um, it, it really depends on the context, right? For instance, if you're a startup, you can kind of shape everything in the way that you like. It's often much easier. It's much quicker. You can, you can really get, um, people to become part of what you're doing. In a much more complex environment, for instance, the one that I'm currently working for, Philips Lighting, I mean, there are, are, are thousands and thousands of people worldwide that are working on, 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 on different uh, products and, and, and systems and, and, and God knows what. So that makes it much more different. Of course, there's a, a whole legacy of, of ways of working. So there it is much more about how far can we get. Um, and, and in terms of approach, well, you know, 
any any design or any development process basically has the same basic steps that you would go through, right? I mean, first of all, you start thinking about, hey, what's actually going on, doing your research, then creating your concept, then, you know, the the, the, the four Ds or the five Fs or um, the, the five the Os, as we call them as well in, in, in Dutch. It really, you know, the, the different ways of explaining it, but it all comes down to the same thing. So that's basically the same. But in, in the ideal world, you start connecting with people from, from the get-go and find people that are willing to work with you and, and, and willing to kind of walk that journey uh, together with the company. Um, and that may be, that may, it could be actually that they say, you know what, I, want to really, I really want to be part of this company. It could also mean instead of, well, you know what, I like doing little bits and pieces of it. I like to once in a while give my feedback because it's relevant to me, of course. You know, if I'm a teacher, for instance, of course I care about good materials to use in my classes. Uh, you're very much trying to collaborate together to then come up with something that makes sense for them within their context. That doesn't necessarily mean they have to really be part of the whole project from beginning to end. Some people may want to do that. Some people find it too much work. Um, but the, when you look at the principles of things, there's there's a lot of respect, right? Mutual respect there. So one of the things that is very important is, of course, with everything, but particularly when it comes to co-creation, it's about proper communication and being transparent about what you're doing when and why so if for instance you're making uh, different uh, decisions because of whatever reason it's important to then communicate that back to the people that have somehow been involved in this so that they understand it so you're continuously aligning with people and and taking it a step further making sure that everybody is on board um, in a bigger organization where you have maybe different stakeholders that have something to say about this project or whatever it is that you're trying to do, you really have to have those people on board as well. And that means you really have to start explaining people, well, what is it that we're doing? Because these things are very different for people. And, and a lot of people find it, find it scary. They don't believe in it. They, they, they think they already know the answer. They think it's too expensive or cost too much time. Uh, and, and another one I like very much is that they're, you know, people are scared of sharing things, right? It's like, oh, well, we need to have it finished first and throw it into the market and then we'll learn. And I'm thinking, oh, this is a waste of money. Why do you want to wait until then have, <laughs> when you've already built something and instead of, you know, doing it right from the, from the, from the beginning on? So, um, the, the, yes, it is different because you're looking at it from a much more human point of view. You have to explain people what's happening. You have to find the right people. You make it maybe also a little bit more complex because you have to really facilitate people in their thinking. Now, for, for any facilitator out there, this makes sense already, of course. In any workshop, you try to facilitate, you try to help people with their, with what it is that they're doing, trying to get them to a next level of thinking so that they know what's happening and then you take that bit of information and you go forward. But when you have end users, when you have maybe designers, UX, you may, maybe even a competitor, theoretically it's possible. When you have all those elements in a room for instance you you have to approach the workshop slightly different and it's, it's not necessarily about a technical story right it's, it's very much about the people who are doing this for are in the room or the people that we're doing it for are part of this whole equation whatever it is that we're trying to come up with comes from them they're the starting point they're the seed of what will will grow really and of course, you can throw in your own ideas, 
you can you can you can add things to the to to the whole discussion no problem but it, it always needs to find this link with what is really happening so you're trying to be as real as possible well yeah um, let's get into some of the the detail around that because that that really interests me about the nuances of facilitation which lead to good quality time being spent in those co-creation sessions uh, versus ones which, you know, don't really engage the the range of different stakeholders that you might Mm -hmm. have in the room there. Now, you've seen this, you know, from the agency side going in, essentially doing it as an external agent. You now work uh, in-house, you know, for a a large organization doing it there. But have you noticed that there are any repeatable hallmarks of those kind of sessions and the facilitation style when you're doing these co-creation sessions which are common uh, to all of them um, or does it always vary according to the specifics of the particular you know product you're working on or the particular company that you're working with yeah so i i'd say yes um there are a few things that always come back uh, one, one element definitely is the fact what i always try to do is Whenever we have a workshop, whenever we try to figure out, regardless of what phase we are in, I try to add people from the market. So I try to add a customer. I try to add somebody that's really invested in this solution or that particular need. So that's one thing that, that I always try to come down to. And, and ideally, it is um, maybe five, six people, for instance, if I'm talking about some type of workshop, right, that is really so five, six people from the market, people that really know what they're talking about because they are the experts on their own experience, right? They know what is actually happening in their world instead of us then assuming this. So this is one thing that I always kind of uh, look for in any type of workshop. So within the organization here, for instance, it's always one of these things that I have to struggle with. How can I make sure that people understand that it is actually beneficial to have people from the outside in the workshop because it changes the dynamics of the whole discussion and all the exercises you do completely. Um, at the same time, you can still do the same exercises. A lot of people can be very like, can be, be concerned about, well, can people understand it? Do they have an opinion? I mean, we're the experts, but in, in, in reality, you know, they don't have to have all the answers, right? They don't need to be experts in, in any type of uh, process really because you're helping them go through it. What you're trying to do is help them really speak up and make sure that what they say makes sense and that they tell you really what's what they think. And they can also be creative, right? They can also start thinking, well, actually, maybe it could be a bit more like this. And then you're starting to discover what is possible. So in a way, it's qualitative research that comes back in, in everything. It's generative type of research. There are a lot of these elements that you kind of always kind of fall back on. At the same time is the um, what you always see, and this, this, this is now as well as in the past, I, it's always as I said, a struggle to really convince people to do this. So it, it makes it more difficult, right? I mean, have a workshop with five of your colleagues that you can just book in or try to find the right people that should be part of that workshop. So, you know, and a lot of people like the idea of, well, if we do a workshop, we can't, it's a kind of a tick box, right? It's like we're doing our job, right? We've got a workshop, see, we're busy. But the question is always, are you getting most out of that workshop, right? So if you are having a workshop with external people, and, you know, my question is always, wouldn't that help? Because if we have any questions regarding anything 
that we think is relevant, but we're not sure, we can ask right there, and then we don't have to have a whole discussion around it. Because you know what happens. Most workshops are just a collection of different opinions. In those sort of workshop environments, have you found that there's a particular personality type for the facilitator to really thrive in making in getting value out of those kind of sessions because i know this from organizing you know things like our mex conference that depending on the kind of style of workshop that you're doing you know there are some people who might be excellent facilitators in one environment but maybe aren't quite as, as suited to another yeah no that's that's very true um the, the thing i'm not looking for is someone who's very strict and then makes it a really a, a kind of a high pressure environment or uh, the, the consulting type that that has his own opinion already right those are those are elements that generally don't work that well because uh, you know when you're having people in a room that have ideas that um want to contribute and of course, depending on the stage you're at, right, if it's very um, more something that's in the discovery phase, of course, it's slightly different when you're just trying to come up with ideas. But in the end, you know, you can't just start with, for instance, having ideas. You need to build that up. So you need to kind of look for people that are able to kind of guide us if as participants, all of us, into this world of, hey, what, what's really happening? Tell me about it so that they are really comfortable with talking to you and comfortable with sharing maybe very personal things even, right? And not have this feeling of, oh, I'm in this environment and I'm expected to do X, Y, Z, or I'm expected to say something, or maybe I just don't really dare to say anything because all these people know so well what they're talking about. So it's very much about making sure that everybody's equal. And Equal means everybody is respectful towards each other. And ideally, that means that the facilitator also strives for a somewhat of a, um, a balance in, in who's talking, right? And it is very important that you don't have very strong people that are kind of dominating the, the session and other people then automatically fall into some form of submission. It, you have to make sure that everybody is able to kind of speak um, a similar amount right similar amount of time so that they can all contribute because this is very important everybody needs to have that feeling of i have really contributed so the facilitator in this case uh, if you look at uh, roles or if you look at job types i'm always looking for someone who is a trained uh, market researcher or maybe indeed someone who has a psychology background somebody who is able to create an environment where people feel comfortable to contribute and not just say stuff because they think they have to and just come up with stuff really so yeah, i think I mean, that's that, that atmosphere of uh, of comfort and uh, it's an intangible thing but putting people at their ease in that way right from the outset i think it is so key to to making those sessions you know feel like a safe space where people can share the things with you that you know not only they they want to share but also you know by definition are probably going to be the most interesting things that you want to find out in relation to where that product should go because there's a there's then a new level of of intimacy that people are willing to to talk about things and give you a real true insight into how they're feeling rather than just the sort of surface stuff that you might expect in in other forms of market research yeah absolutely and of course then you have the um there's the skill of being a good market researcher right that's also something that's very important are you not somehow creating a bias or some type of group think these things you need to be aware of because it, it happens 
And of course, now we're talking about co-creation in, in uh, for instance, when you're doing a, a, a group session. You know, there are other tools, of course, that you can use throughout that whole development process where you say, well, we're trying to maximize our collaboration and our connection with people in the market and people basically that have a strong opinion or are decision makers or just really are using the, uh, the, the, the product or the service or whatever it is that you're trying to build. Um, so in, in, in essence, it's, it's, it's a very hospitable type of role. And it's also very analytical type of role at the same time because you have to really understand what's happening. So you need to be able to make different connections, right? It's, it's, it's a very, um, it's, it's what they sometimes say, like what designers are really good at. And, and, and it's conceptual, it's abstract, and you need to be able to feel comfortable with those type of elements, looking at the emotional elements, looking at the soft elements, looking at what is it that people are really saying or how are they behaving um, and what does that really mean? So you can pick up on that and, and then maybe interpret it later on with all the other knowledge that you have. And then, of course, to kind of feed back this to the group that is trying to build this solution, um, albeit people internally and ideally, of course, people that are uh, your users or your customers. And that everybody says, well, actually, you know what? I do recognize this. I do think this is a good way. Now let's move on. Now, I know the book covers a range of different case studies from from all around the, the world but um, i'd be interested to hear a bit more about the specifics of what you're doing in your your day-to-day role at phillips at the moment in relation to co-creation and we have a bit of a tradition on the podcast of our show and tell where we ask our some of our guests to introduce a particular you know product or concept to us um, within this this section and i know the one that you've been looking at is one of phillips own products which i think might help people who who aren't familiar with the company's get an idea of the kind of stuff that you're working on so do you want to talk a little bit about this this example that you've picked from philip's product line and then maybe we can talk about some of the ways in which co-creation has related to the the development of that line and the other things that you're doing at philip's yeah no absolutely and i I think the 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 example uh, that you're talking about is it's the philip's you and um do you know the philip's you yourself i do yes i mean for me it's been one of the go-to examples really of the emerging set of smart home devices um, for a while now but I'm sort of curious to hear a bit more about how it's developed because it was one of the pioneering smart home devices here bringing people control to their their lighting systems from a variety of different devices in the home but that was several years ago really that it kind of got that mind share and that consciousness for people and i know yeah. with all of these products they develop over time so i'm, I'm curious to hear more mm-hmm. about where it's got to today and what the state of the art is with philips hue and that's the interesting thing because this example the philips hue is in essence when it started it's, it's a technology push right so i mean all of a sudden something was possible that was not possible before um, so that by itself, of course, is extremely exciting. And a lot of people have responded very well to this. A lot of people are interested in it, uh, because it's a gadget for some people, because they think it, it really transforms their experience in the home. And, and it, it has moved towards that as well. Instead of saying, hey, this is a smart system or it's a very um, innovative new way of looking at light in your home, you're basically saying, look, um, light, of course, is, 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 is a way of, of delivering an experience. So that whole home experience all of a sudden is, is enhanced. Um, and, and the interesting bit is, and this is why I like this example, is 
Phillips is a very intelligent, technical kind of company, right? You've got fantastic people working here, scientists, um, people who have, uh, I don't know how many PhDs in, 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 in God knows what. And it, it, it is an environment that is slightly more, um, it's, it's a technical environment really. So for some people, it's actually quite difficult to start looking at these these soft elements like, well, what, what do you mean experience at home? You know, look, it started off with, look, we can make different colors of light. You can pick your light. I'm just making this very black and white, right? It's like you can you can start creating different type of feelings or different type of scenes or whatever you want to call it in your home. But what does that mean really, right? What does that mean for, for the people that are actually in a home and try to relax or have a nice moment together have a great dinner together what does it mean if you're laying in your bathtub and you really want to have that spa immersion so a lot of ways in of looking at things and it's it's a very aspirational world a very emotional world some things are very practical right like i um i can take care of 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 uh, for instance, security, right? So like I can turn on the lights when I'm not at home or simple things like that. Or at night, um, you know, when, when, when my child needs to go to the bathroom, you know, we don't want to turn on all the lights, but there's enough light to get from A to B and, 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 and done. So without waking them up fully. So, you know, there's a lot of functional elements in there, but it, it's, it's a very big space. And the way that co-creation is helping to develop this project or this this product is we not only do research of course in understanding what people find important and how they perceive different moments in their lives um, but we also ask them to come with ideas uh, on what should it really be all right so so let me give you an example of, of, of what's happening within the the u world right so we um uh, have created a new product that's soon coming to the market and this product is actually created internally and, and keep in mind right so my work is very much about making sure that philips as a whole and all the people of course that i work with start working in a more co-creative way and a lot of great things are already happening but I'm a bit strict on this, right? I'm trying to push them even further, try to maximize their collaboration with the people that they're actually doing something for and taking the whole ecosystem basically into account and making sure that they all walk that path. Um, so this group of people had created a new product, which was extremely interesting. Um, and from a technical point of view, it made a lot of sense. But when we got talking, we, we quickly realized that, well, it was more something that was developed in the company itself um, based upon different type of research that they've done and they had made a concept that was technically really interesting but it they weren't really sure if this was really the way that uh, the the target group wanted it all right so i mean for me there are different things you've got the problem you've got the key inside that kind of drives whatever you want to achieve and then you've got the solution so those are three distinct different things and a lot of people try to kind of go too quick into one or the other and forget about the rest. So what we did was we took the, the product and said, okay, you know, guys, let, let's, let's take this, let's take a step back, go to people's homes, really connect with our potential target group, and let's start actually kind of recreate this product with them and see what they then come up with. So we already had something, but we really said, like, no, everything theoretically is discussable. We need to kind of look at it with fresh eyes.
So we kind of gave them the question. We we set up different sessions. We showed them what was possible. We talked about all the, their world and when they would use it, the usual type of qualitative research that you would be doing. And, and then we really started saying, well, actually, how would you then want this to 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 come alive or what 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 is it that you need and when and all of these type of questions and the interesting thing was so in essence the product that they came up with made sense but the solution in terms of how they really built it well there were some nuances that need to be changed for instance we're talking about it's an outdoor product so we're talking about things like um is it water resistant enough because in a particular use case that the people uh, that we talk to um kind of described to us and showed us and said like well i need it for this good look can we build it like this and this and this meant that the water resistance let's say of the of the actual product needed to go up um also certain choices that were made in a uh, from a technical point of view right like from if it's pixelated light is it is it's a diffuse light people didn't really have those type of questions in their mind they're like i i don't really care it's like this, just this is actually novel that's the only thing that i want so they spent quite spent quite some time on, on developing this because they thought it was interesting, but people really didn't need it. So in this way, we're trying to bring co-creation to everything that we're doing here as well. Because in the end, it is about that experience. And the people that we are talking to, the people that we're collaborating with, are really defining that experience. And it's our job to just understand what it is that they mean and make sure that with our technical knowledge, we can deliver upon that. So this is how we really bring two very different worlds really together. A very technical world where things are possible that some people can't even imagine to a very personal, emotional, aspirational soft world that say some technical people not necessarily understand in that depth that it really, because it's a beautiful world, right? Um, and, and, and this is how we kind of bring it all together and continuously kind of coming back and, and shaping it along the way because it's not just a one-off thing right co-creation is something that you are continuously doing well I'll put a link in the show notes so that those who haven't seen the, the Hue lighting system can go and take a look at it uh, and whet their appetite for um, those new developments which you, you allude to coming perhaps uh, later in the year um, now in the spirit of the mech show and tell section I feel like I should share an example back to you and I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this in relation to, you know, how one might tackle this problem with a, a co-creative approach. So I was reading a, a slightly ridiculous magazine the other day. The Financial Times publishes this supplement called How to Spend It, which is full of all kinds of glossy interiors and yachts and, you know, all these uh, very aspirational sort of items. And they have a section within there, which they call Technopolis, written by this guy called Jonathan Margulis. And he was looking at coffee machines. So he picked out one from this brand called Jura, which retails for about £3,000, you know, very high-end piece of, of coffee equipment for the home. And he wrote this about it. He said, Jura machines have their quirks, which almost seem to be incorporated in order to make sure you're a serious user and not a dilettante. And it, it 
it really jarred with me, you know, as someone who's been interested in experience design for a while, this idea that um, something being difficult and confusing could actually add to the experience of a product. I mean, that goes against kind of everything we know about user-centered design practice. But then I stopped and thought to myself, well, perhaps there is something in this, you know, maybe there is something about the emotions that we feel when as a user, we feel like we've mastered something complex that gives a good feeling towards that, that product experience. And, you know, I'm wondering for you, when you take these kind of co-creative uh, approaches, uh, is the goal always to get to the point where you're coming up with ideas, which are going to simplify and make objectively more usable the things that you're working on? Or is there scope there for co-creation, which actually leads to that point that you're catering to the needs of those, those expert sort of aspirational users who want additional layers of, of complexity in what you're creating? Yeah, well, that's, a, that's an interesting question. And uh, I think it's also a very good example that you're giving because it's 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 not so clean cut, right? And for me, yes, definitely there's space for this because what it comes down to, I think, is if you take it a step back before you're really starting to do co-creation, you you have done your research and you know what drives your target group. So and I'm just making an assumption here. Um, because I, I don't know the, the, the Euro case that well, but um, I know the coffee machines. But maybe this particular coffee machines, if you say, well, you know what, they're making it a bit hard to really make a good cup of coffee, uh, you know, it's like it, 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 it's an effort, right? Maybe that, what they're trying to, to say is like, well, you know what, we make you feel like an expert in this, like you know what you're doing. Because it's not just pressing a simple button and just rolls out. No, you have to think about this. This is not for the simple people, really. Something like that. And if that's your key insight, if if you basically if 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 they have understood their target group so well that they want to be different from, let's say, the norm, and they say, well, I wanna I wanna feel like an expert, or I wanna be an expert, or making coffee in this case. Then yeah, then that you could ask that question. It's like, listen, how how would you actually feel like you're really, you know, you, you know what you're doing, that you really are a trained barista, for instance. Yeah, I guess there's an element of of market positioning to these things, as you say. You know, there is that that higher end segment where people actually, you know, want to feel like they are differentiating either on the skills that they need to do something or on the price point that they've bought in at. You're sending an active signal about, you know, who you are by being a, a user of of that machine. But it's yeah, uh, yeah it's it's just a tricky one to to balance. Um, it is tricky, and I just add to that one as well. You know, a lot of times it comes down to how can we make this as simple as possible right how can we make this as as clear as possible for people to understand so they really resonate with things because then it had to have clear value if you're looking into this more aspirational world of i'm paying four thousand pounds for a uh, if not more for a coffee machine clearly it's not necessarily much about the the basic value it's very much about that aspiration you're trying to to chase right and then the question is different but in essence you can still ask people uh, and maybe ask it in different ways, but you could get to this point where people say, actually, we just, you know, it shouldn't be too easy. I still want to make, you know, do some effort. And then you can design that experience around that. Well, 
Look, Martin, I feel like we've only really scratched the surface of, of everything we could talk about in relation to co-creation. We'll probably have to get together and, and do this conversation again in a, a year's time and see if there's there's more we can explore. But one thing I did want to ask before uh, we finish up is, you know, you've written the book. Obviously, you're now working in-house, uh, you're a very large corporation, bringing these ideas to reality um, within the, the lighting industry. But I'm wondering if there's anything which you haven't yet had the chance to apply these co-creative methods to, which you're hoping you'll get the opportunity to do in the future. That's actually why I'm at the company, to be honest. <laughs> the thing is, at some point, Philips approached me and like, listen, we need to be a bit more you know, customer centric, we want to do something with co-creation and that type of stuff. Um, and I figured, you know what, this is the perfect chance to really transform a large company of this scale and make that become more of a co-creative company. Um, so I saw it as a challenge. I saw it as an extremely interesting journey. And I haven't been able to, in my previous work, work on such a large scale, really, where it's such a complex environment, which is so sometimes the opposite of, of what I stand for. Um, so my goal is really to get them to a level where co-creation becomes kind of the norm, where people feel uncomfortable if they wouldn't do it. So that's what kind of my my long term plan here. And I think once I've achieved that, I'll start thinking about new challenges that are out there. Well, it certainly sounds like you're going to have your hands full with that and a fantastic opportunity to be working on. I wish you the, the very best of luck with it in your efforts there. And yeah, thank you for taking the time to come and share on the, the podcast. I hope we'll stay in touch with it because I think there's a lot more that we could go into around this topic of co-creation. And it'd be great to have the chance to, to revisit again in the future, perhaps when you put out addition to of your book uh, you know what it would be be great to come back I, I always like sharing with people my experience and, and hopefully it inspires them to start doing something and, and, and this is also a call out to people that are interested in this topic I mean feel free to, to link with me on LinkedIn for instance if you have any questions uh, I, I'm, I'm very happy to uh, when I've got the time to, to answer questions and to help people with with their uh, with their challenges and, and, and questions that they may have and maybe I can give them some some advice or some personal experience on how to tackle certain uh, certain problems. Well that's splendid we'll put links in the show notes so people know how to get in touch with you and Martin thanks very much indeed for coming on the show. Thank you very much we'll talk soon. you enjoyed that and if you want to check out those show notes where you can find links to all of the different things that martin and i were talking about how to get in touch with martin his book uh, head on over to mobileuserexperience.com and you'll find them in the podcast section of the site so i said at the start of the show that i had a couple of thoughts about what i've learned in two years of producing these podcasts and having the chance to talk with such a diverse bunch of guests you know from all different parts of, of digital and design and there are a few things that stand out so firstly there is a strong correlation between the breadth of someone's background and their ability to do unique valuable user-centered design work now, of course there are vital skills around process and understanding the tools which all practitioners need 
But time and again, I've been struck by how people who started in really quite unexpected areas like theatre studies or anthropology or psychology or engineering then found their way into user-centered design because they didn't lose sight of that genuine curiosity and empathy with other people's lives. And secondly, there is an inherent value in the spirit of experimentation and sharing, which so many of our guests really by definition practice. So on one level, you know, very superficial level, obviously there's a career progression value to talking about your work and getting your name out there. But I've been lucky enough to talk to plenty of people on this show who are already well established enough in their field that that's not really an issue. Instead, there's something rather deeper in committing to sharing and talking about both your successes and your failures, which leads to a much more positive working culture. It creates places and teams where people feel empowered to try out new things. They feel a sense of accomplishment and ownership around what they're discovering. And by coming on a show like this to share it, they not only help to do that within their own teams, they help to raise the standard of practice for everyone else in the business by putting those insights out there. And I mean, last but not least, for me personally, it's been a reminder of something that I value tremendously in my own work, that it really doesn't matter what someone's specialism or area of interest is. If they're passionate about it, they can usually tell a good story. I mean, today I was talking to Martin, who works on lighting for a living, and I've talked to people who make cars for a living, I've talked to people in healthcare, in venture capital, and all of them, once you get talking about their work and how it relates to people, have a fascinating story to tell. And that, after all, I think is really the heart of good user-centered design work. Uncovering people's stories, uncovering the tangents, seeing how they intersect with different industries and technologies, And then weaving together an overall narrative that represents something new, something that you didn't know before. And I've loved having the chance to do that on this podcast over the last couple of years. And I am looking forward to sharing many more shows like that with you. Do stay in touch. You can email. It's designtalk at mobileuserexperience.com or tweet at mexfeed. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.